Hello and welcome to the podcast of Vineyard Church here in Maryville, Tennessee. We post our Sunday messages here each week, as well as our conversations episodes, which include interviews, special announcements, and in-depth teaching. You can visit vineyardchurch.us to learn more about us or to access the audio archive. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts. And now, here's the episode. I got a couple other quick things I want to give you before we jump into a message here. Uh, first of all, you may not know this, but we are getting ready to do a, uh, a church mission trip, a team mission trip to the Dominican Republic, and that's in about a month. Uh, I think a couple people that are going on that are in here uh, in this service. And um, we typically have done mission trips to Haiti. Now, you may know our international focus has been Haiti and the Ivory Coast over in West Africa, uh, but we've not been able to do a mission trip to Haiti for the last few years, both with COVID and then with just the difficulties in the country. Uh, it's just a really... Uh, uh, tough place to travel to right now and probably not a great place to take a team trip. So we are actually going to do a team trip over to the other side of that island, which is the Dominican Republic. I'm going to be working with some Haitians that live over there. So there's lots of Haitians that live in the Dominican Republic. A lot of them uh, try to scrape together some money and send it back to their families in Haiti. And some of the work that we had been a part of in Haiti has bled over into the Dominican Republic, uh, which is really cool. So we're going to be working with some people we know and some we don't know. Uh, but we're really excited about that. Going to do a lot of ministry for uh, children, going to do some uh, teaching, training, and also just some discipleship stuff for the people that are going on our side. Uh, as uh, If you've never been on an international mission trip, it's a pretty incredible experience, and so uh, we're excited about that. Now, I tell you that not only so that you'd be hopefully praying for the folks that are going to be going on that trip, but also there's a couple of ways that we would love for you to help if you can. One, you see this QR code behind me here. This uh, will send you to an Amazon uh, wish list. Um, and it's just stuff that we need for our trip. So we're going to take a bunch of extra bags down, uh, do a lot of ministry for kids there, and could really use some additional help with supplies. So if you click that QR code, it'll take you to that Amazon list. Feel free to get your phone out. You can do that. Uh, And that stuff will ship directly to our house, and we'll, we'll pack that. We won't keep any of it. I mean, it does have like big screen TVs and stuff like that. Not really. Uh, So soccer balls, things like that will be on there. But we would appreciate that. The second way we would love for you to consider helping with this trip is if you would like to sponsor somebody that's going on this trip, you can give online or via check. Uh, As long as you put Mission Trip 2023, that'll help sponsor. Uh, We've still got uh, several people that are going on our trip uh, that have not raised their full support yet, and some of them are kind of scrambling for that support. So that'd be an awesome way just to help out, especially some of the young people that are going on our trip. Uh, So if you feel led to give to that, it's Mission Trip 2023. Um, okay, one more thing, and then I promise I'm going to preach a sermon. Uh, I want to tell you a must-have gifts update, and you may be saying, well, that's weird. We're in February. Uh, I do not want to give you an update from this last must-have gifts, but I want to take you back two years ago, and some of you may remember we raised money, a lot of money, actually, for two solar power generators that we were going to ship to Haiti. Anybody remember that? A few of you? Yeah. It was awesome because we raised a lot of money. So we partnered with this organization called Lima. Uh, They have these state-of-the-art units that they've created that can go into really uh, difficult, impoverished places and provide electricity and help pump water. And so we wanted to send those to the Freedom House, which is a children's home that we helped start in Haiti. Um, and to a place called Laborde. And Laborde is a very remote part 
of Haiti. Daniel's been with me. I think Brian's in here. He's been with me. Um, it's it's probably the poorest place I've personally been in Haiti, just as far as it's it's in the middle of nowhere, and the, the situation there is really difficult for families. And so um, I think we got, like, yeah, so those, the reason I'm telling you this is those units finally made it to Haiti. It's been an incredibly difficult process. It's taken us over a year. And you can see this glorified STEM project that our Freedom House kids are doing here, assembling this thing. It's pretty pretty incredible. We were actually going to try to send a couple of Americans down to help put this together because it's a very elaborate system. Uh, the electrical work and everything that goes behind it is not easy. I, there's no way I could do it. Well, guess what? Uh, that kid on the far left, his name is Ronnie. He is from Laborde, and he lives at the Freedom House now. He put it together. Like he's, he's like 17 years old, and he did it. Uh, he figured it out, like no joke. Yeah, there's a whole lot to the story, but it's incredible. This kid's kind of like a child prodigy. We knew he was, he was like a, just a special kid, really, really brilliant kid, but he literally figured it out. So the Freedom House, that thing is working now, and it is providing electricity. They're able to pump water. It's really helpful because the power, the electricity is not uh, always on. If you've ever been to Haiti, it's, <laughs> it goes through, you can go through long seasons without having uh, any kind of power. Um, and so it's going to save money in the long run and, um, and all that stuff. Now, here's the coolest part of that story. Uh, now, this month, Ronnie is leading an expedition uh, to take the second unit to the place he's from. Laborde. So they're literally going to pack this thing up on mules and take it. And those guys who have been there, they know it. Is it an easy trek, Daniel? Not an easy trek. <laughs> they're literally going to go over goat trails up and down mountains on a, on a mule caravan uh, to get this other unit. And then Ronnie is going to lead the effort in assembling it. And it's going to provide electricity uh, to that school that we built there. We've now built a school there. There's a church there, a lot of cool things. Daniel's helped with some healthcare type uh, preventative stuff in the area. And this is just the latest chapter in Laborde. So uh, sorry it took me a year and a half almost to give you an update, but that's how long it's taken. But when you give to must-have gifts, it goes to stuff like that. So thought that was a cool update wanted to share with you. Now I'm going to preach a sermon. Um, and we're going to take a break from, uh, from this scapegoat series, which has been awesome. Uh, been here the last couple of weeks, but it, it's been awesome. But I figured you guys might need a little break from all the goats and punching. Uh, so if you've been here, you know what I'm talking about. Aaron's talked about punching kind of a, an alarming um, amount. So we're not going to talk about punching this morning. He'll pick that back up and, uh, and close out that series, I think, next week. But just going to do a little standalone series. And look, this is going to be a pretty simple message. Um, God had really been just speaking to me through the characters in Luke chapter 18 and 19. Uh, and I was, I was just struck by how all of them were searching for different things. And um, so we're going to talk about that this morning. So I want to pray and we'll get into it. Father, we thank you very much for this time and this space that you provided for us. Uh, thank you that it, it's not too hot or not too cold in here and we can worship in peace. Um, we know that's not the case in a lot of places on planet earth. So thank you. And we don't take it for granted. And I just pray, Lord, that you would speak to us through this scripture today. Uh, Lord, I just pray that the scripture comes flying off the page or screen and, uh, and that it speaks much louder than I do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, um, before I dive into Luke chapter 18, I want to tell you about one of the worst Christmases I've ever had. Sound fun? <laughs> um, 
So, uh, and I'm going to, I actually asked my sister before the service because I think I'm going to botch the story a little bit, but here's how I remember it. So, growing up, we would go over to my uncle's house on my dad's side of the family, and it was a highlight of the year because the coming from the Christmas tree were just waves of presents, like presents beyond presents. You could hardly walk in the house. And I mean, the aunts and uncles loved buying just way too many presents for the kids. And, uh, and it was awesome. And every year I looked forward to it. Um, and then got a little bit older. And I think, I think Amanda and I had just got married. We've been married almost 20 years. And, um, and I remember we were going to go over and shortly before we were going to go over, one of the aunts and uncles, I don't remember which one, had the idea because there wasn't as many kids in the family anymore, and I think because some, some of the family maybe wasn't just crushing it financially, they said, why don't we instead get stuff for each other that we could really use, like household products that we all love and that we could really use? And so, um, now this sounds weird because it is, okay? What we ended up doing was creating lists of our favorite things. When I say favorite things, I mean like our favorite detergents. Our favorite, like, bars of soap. Our favorite cereals. Like, what you would get when you go on a Walmart run. And we created lists, and the family commenced, before we came together, to wrap these things like it was a nice present. And then we all brought them, and that's what we opened on Christmas Day. It was the saddest Christmas I have ever experienced in my life. And you know how hard it is to open a present and say, Oh, Tide! Thanks! Just what I wanted, you know? I mean, it was that kind of thing. The first couple presents, it was like, this is kind of strange. By the third or fourth present, it was just so awkward and awful. And it was, I just remember it being like one of the longest, most horrible Christmases I've ever experienced. Um, now, why do I tell you that story? Um, what struck me as I kept opening those presents is how disheartened I got the more I opened And I think those of us who've lived life for more than a minute can say the same thing about life at times, right? You can go through life, and maybe you've had a good experience in the past, and so you, you anticipate the future with excitement. And when you've been let down just enough times, when you've been disappointed just enough times, you can really become cynical. Sometimes you can quit. Sometimes you can stop searching for what it is you're looking for. And look, I don't know if that's you today. I don't know if consciously or subconsciously you came here searching for something, fill in the blank, uh, and maybe you're like kind of done. You're like, you know, I'm I'm just going to show up at church and and do what I need to do. But like really going after it and searching, I've I've been burned too many times, I've been hurt too many times. I I, I don't think I can do it anymore. So I'm just going to kind of be here. Maybe that's you today. Or maybe you're searching for something and you do have a lot of hope, uh, you, you, but you don't know exactly how to find it or even what you're really looking for. Today, I hope that as we look at these characters in Luke 18 and 19, maybe some of their stories will resonate with us. So first story we want to we look at is Luke chapter 18. We'll look at verses 1 through 8. Here's the first character that Jesus introduces. So some of these are going to be stories he tells, like parables he tells, and some of them are going to be actual people he meets. This is a story he told. So one day, Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a certain judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, and I love this, I don't fear God or care about people. (laughs) Just very definitive statement. I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman's driving me crazy. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna see that she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. And the Lord Jesus said, Learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? So we start out our search through the stories of characters in Luke 18 and 19 with this lady. And she's searching specifically for justice. And as mentioned, every human, every person I believe on planet earth is either consciously or subconsciously searching for something. And before we can even go on, we got to observe what Jesus has to say about searching in this story. We got to observe that Jesus is making this massive point about searching. And it's this, it's simple. Don't give up. Don't give up. And before we even go on, if like I was talking about being cynical or maybe like just being over it or, or, or like you've been burned too many times, I, just listen to the words of Jesus today. He told this story. Look at the very first of what he said. One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. <laughs> That's the point. All right, and maybe that's not your story right now. Maybe you're just you're done. You're you're on autopilot, and you've kind of given up the search. I've got this friend named Chad Stewart. Some of you guys know Chad. He's awesome, and I meet with him on Monday mornings. Chad recently said something really weird. I don't even know if I agree with it. I'm going to ask Anna Kitko after if it's true or not. He said uh, he said I believe our prayers are eternal. And I was like, hmm, okay. What do you mean by that? And he went on to talk about it, and he was way more eloquent than I could be. But basically, his, his, his thought process was, it's not like we just pray and our prayers eventually fizzle out. Like God can hear them for a certain amount of time, but eventually he doesn't hear them anymore. And he, he said a lot more about it. But my dad recently told me a story that really helped make sense of that a little bit for me. Dad told me a story that when he was a kid, he and his siblings, uh, they lived with their grandfather for a while. We call him Papaw Baker. Of course, he's, he's gone now. Uh, but he was a man of faith. And toward the end of his life, uh, they lived with him uh, for a season. And Dad remembers in the middle of the night, he would get up and he would see and hear Papaw Baker. Papaw Baker didn't know my dad was there, but would see and hear him on his knees in his bedroom praying for his kids and his grandkids. Just, oh, God. And then he would give a prayer, and he was desperate, and he saw him even shed tears over his kids and his grandkids. And, and it's cool because dad actually says that he believes that some things God is doing in our family now, he really believes are a result of God listening to the prayers all those years ago of my Papaw Baker. Now, I don't know if that's relevant or, or, or true or not, I, but it's, it's interesting. It's also interesting in light of another passage of, of, of Scripture. So before we keep diving in Luke here, I want to read you a really weird passage of Scripture. Is that okay? Uh, and then I'll try to make a little bit of sense of it. It's in Revelation, so you know it's going to be weird, okay? Revelation 8. Listen to this cosmic scene that takes place in heaven. It's, it's bizarre. It says, this is, this is Revelation 8, verse 3 and following. Then another angel with a gold incense burner came and stood at the altar, and a great amount of incense was given to him to mix with the prayers of God's people as an offering on the gold altar before the throne. Following so far? No? It's okay. We'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. Um, the smoke of the incense mixed with the prayers of God's holy people ascended up to God from the altar where the angel had poured them out. Then the angel filled the incense burner with fire from the altar and threw it down upon the earth and thunder crashed, lightning flashed, and there was a terrible earthquake. 
Very bizarre. And I'm not going to completely break this scripture down, but, but here's what you should probably get from this. Did you catch where the prayers of the saints, the prayers of God's people go to heaven, and somehow this angel mixes them with the stuff of heaven? I don't know what that is, but that's what he does. He mixes those prayers with the stuff of heaven, and then they're unleashed back on planet earth. Now that's interesting. I don't know what that exactly means or what it looks like, but here's what I do know. It seems to mean that our prayers have weight they have value. And somewhere in eternity, they are mixed with the stuff of heaven, whatever that is, and they do something. God hears them. God reacts. They don't just go floating off in the by and by. And I don't know if you've ever seen the work of God in reaction to things that have been prayed, but I believe and I've seen him do things when people pray. Jesus said, never give up. Some of you might be here today and you say, ah, I just, I'm, I'm, I've asked for so many times for fill in the blank, whatever it is. And I would just say, hear the words of Jesus today. Never give up. Keep going. Keep praying. Whatever you're searching for in life today, don't give up because I believe God hears you and he's here with us in this very moment. Now, story number two. Next characters that are introduced in Luke 18. This is, this is going to be starting in verse 9. There are two characters introduced to us. It's another story Jesus told. So Jesus told this story to some people who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. He said, two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God. I'm, I'm bringing out my pretentious voice here. I thank you, God. That I won't read the whole thing like that. Never mind. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers, I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector, the second character, he stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So again, you got two characters here who are searching for something. So for this Pharisee, he's searching for notoriety, for prestige, and for, for approval from God and from other people. And then you got this other guy, this tax collector, this sinner, right? And uh, he's, he's desperate. He's searching also, but this, he's searching for forgiveness, right? For forgiveness, something beyond himself. I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more I realize that those folks in society that seem to have it all together, including, by the way, folks at church, are often the most busted up and self-righteous people on the planet. They're just busted up, and they come looking for approval and, uh, and, and, and maybe notoriety. They, they want to save face. Um, I want to tell you a, a, another quick story, something that happened to me recently. So I was just recently in Mexico visiting a ministry, a pretty amazing ministry called Casa de Luz, which is in Baja Peninsula. Uh, really beautiful down there. I mean, it's almost right on the Pacific Ocean, so I was roughing it for Jesus. Um, and um, 
Anyway, I'm, I'm visiting this ministry, and I started in California, and I actually had to go back to California. I flew uh, out of San Diego. So my friend is driving me, my new friend is driving me across the border, and that's an experience. It's really an experience coming back. I'll talk about that here in a little bit. Uh, but crossing the border is interesting. I mean, you, you, you know, immediately notice a marked difference in, in, uh, in the United States and Mexico. And um, So anyway, it's a pretty drive, though. We're driving along the highway, and there's the Pacific Ocean to the right, and it's, it's pretty incredible. And then I saw uh, a huge white building, just pristine, beautiful white building facing the Pacific Ocean, and it, it very much stood out compared to the other buildings that were around it. And so I asked the guy that was with me, I said, what is that place over there? And he was like, oh, that's funny you should ask. That's a hospital. He said, that's a hospital where very wealthy uh, Americans, even some celebrities, will come to have certain kinds of procedures done, uh, certain things enhanced, if you will. Uh, you can fill in the blank on what might be enhanced. Uh, those kinds of surgeries, and then they, are, they stay there in complete luxury for as long as their body needs to heal. And they spend a fortune. Some of the best cosmetic doctors in the world work at that hospital. And I was like, wow, that's interesting. And, and then as I thought about it and as I observed the landscape around, I saw a lot of other types of people. And I actually visited some of their homes. I got to go in some homes of some local people in that area. Uh, some of the poorest people in Mexico are in Baja because Baja is one of the wealthiest states in Mexico. And so really uh, poor people, really down and out people in other states of Mexico will come there looking for work. And they will send money back to their homes a lot of times, and they will live in utter squalor. I actually saw the way some folks lived. I, it, I felt like I was back in Haiti, honestly. There, was, there were places I, was just could, I didn't know they existed like that, that close to California. I mean, I'm talking like a 30-minute drive from California, which was fascinating. Um, and, you know, in this story that Jesus told, you have this one guy, and he's, the intentions of his heart were about making himself look good, having notoriety, prestige. Uh, and then you had this other guy, this tax collector, who knew he was busted up and desperate. It's kind of like those two sets of individuals in Mexico that I'm talking about. You have some folks that are just coming, and their intentions are to make themselves look good, and they will spend a fortune, and they literally do it uh, and in the shadow of where they're at are some of the poorest people in all of Mexico, and they are just as busted up and desperate as that tax collector was that day. What's the point? The point here is in our searching, I think our intentions really, really matter. And I would even say, to, and I'm not trying to give a, a guilt trip to anyone today, but I would say that there are folks in the room that have different sets of intentions today. What was your intention for coming here today? Um, were you like that tax collector who you realize you're busted and you're broken and we're desperate for God and we need others to come alongside of us to help with that? Or are you, do you have the, the position, is your heart's position more like this Pharisee that we're just coming to save face or maybe just coming to make a spouse happy or whatever the case may be. I think God is looking at the intentions of our heart. And so in story number one, we saw that we should never give up in our searching. In story number two, we see that we must observe our intentions behind our searching. So hold those thoughts. Let's go to story three. Story three starts in chapter 18, verse 18. Once a religious leader asked Jesus this question, good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked him. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know, you know the commandments. You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely on your father and mother. 
And the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. And when Jesus heard his answer, he said, there's still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. But when the man heard this, he became very sad for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw this, he said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So here we got another character searching. And what was this guy searching for? Frankly, I would say he was searching for cheap validation. Why do I say cheap validation? Because he wanted God's approval while still being able to hold on to the actual God of his life, which was his stuff. You know, all humans have something that concerns them ultimately. All humans have something that concerns them ultimately. And, and listen, whatever it is, that object of ultimate concern is that person's God. I want to say that one more time. All humans have something that concerns them ultimately. And whatever it is, that object of ultimate concern is that person's God. This guy needed validation, but it was a cheap validation. And look, all of us need validation. We all are looking for approval. But whose validation do we seek? That's the question. There's a, my favorite poet is a guy named William Blake, and William Blake uh, was kind of a mad genius, man. If you know anything about William Blake, he wrote these bizarre and beautiful poems. He's probably most famous for his, his works of poetry, Songs of Innocence, and, uh, and he's also known for uh, The Marriage of Heaven and Hell, uh, and a lot of other stuff. Uh, he also created other forms of art, and he claimed from, a kid, uh, from, from the age of like six or seven that he had visions, that he could literally see things like into another portal or another world, and his art really reflects that. It was just bizarre stuff, and he had the opportunity over the course of his career to make a lot of money because he was so good at what he did, not only at poetry but at engraving and other stuff, but he refused to go along the status quo, uh, to observe the status quo, and instead he kind of did what he felt like uh, were in his visions, which he believed were from God. Now, he started his life very angsty. Uh, in fact, he really kind of protested social norms, and he actually was an advocate uh, for, um, for, uh, against slavery, and he was an advocate for women. So he was ahead of his time in a lot of things that he believed. And he had some weird beliefs, too. Um, but his marriage was kind of rocky during that time because he was kind of an angsty guy. And we don't know exactly what happened in his heart, but over the course of his life, his friends said he just became more joyful. He became a guy who you wanted to be around, and he ended up having a lot of friends. He ended up having an incredible marriage. Like his, his, his wife loved him to the end, but he never made it big in his time. And now he actually died almost penniless, and he was buried in a pauper's graveyard. And just a few years ago in London, there was an art exhibition, and it featured only the art of William Blake, and it sold 250,000 tickets. You ever been to an art show like that? <laughs> That's a lot of tickets for an art show. He's now one of the most celebrated and recognized poets in, in history, and, and, and people now are talking about how brilliant he was, but he wasn't understood in his time. Um, and uh, what's interesting is one of his friends who was at his deathbed wrote a letter to a friend and described how William Blake died. And here's what he said. He died in a most glorious manner. He said he was going to that country he had 
he had all his life wished to see, and he expressed himself happy, hoping for salvation through Jesus Christ. Just before he died, his countenance became fair, his eyes brightened, and he burst out singing of the things he saw in heaven. What a way to go. Yeah, interesting. So the rich man in this story that we talked about, he wanted validation, but his identity was too tied to his possessions and the cares of this life. And then you've got this guy, William Blake, who set his eyes on a higher calling and validation from a deeper well. You know, I just, again, I think a lot of us here today, we're seeking validation. All of us have a need for approval. Um, but from whom do you seek to be validated by? Because again, I would say all humans have something that concerns them ultimately. And whatever it is, that object of ultimate concern is that person's God. So whose validation do you seek? Whose approval are you yearning for? Hold that thought. Next story. Two more stories. In chapter 18, verses 35 through 43, we find our next character. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind beggar was sitting beside the road. And when he heard the noise of a crowd going past, he asked what was happening. And they told him that Jesus the Nazarene was going by. So he begins shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet, the people in front yelled at him. But he only shouted louder, son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and ordered that the man be brought to him. As the man came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, he said, I want to see. And Jesus said, all right, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. And instantly the man could see. And he followed Jesus, praising God. And all who saw it praised God too. You ever been around somebody that desperate? Uh, you ever been to a part of the world where people are begging. It's a sobering experience. Uh, I've encountered that in several countries that I've been able to go to. And again, I, just in Mexico this last time, I told you I came back across the border. I actually came across the border by foot. Anybody ever done that, like from Tijuana back across? It's an experience, okay? Um, so they say at times the, the line is hours long. In my case, it was only about two hours long. So I wait in this line for two hours, um, and it's not, like, super organized. It feels kind of scary. I was really, like, holding on to my stuff, you know? And you go through US, the U.S. border there. Um, and the whole way, for the entire two hours, uh, people were begging. The whole way. It was, I mean, little kids, like three, four-year-olds coming by with cups. It's, it's brutal. Uh, so for two hours... Uh, there's that tension, and it's, it's just exhausting, you know, it's exhausting. Um, and, and it just blows my mind, because again, I, like 200 yards from me, I could see California. Some of the wealthiest people in the United States of America lived very, very close, and there's those poor folks around me. Um, and look, our stories might not be as bleak as this guy in the story or these people I'm talking about in Tijuana, but... Many here today would say that they're in need of mercy and healing. Many would say they're in need of mercy and healing. Maybe you or a loved one have lived with something, mental or physical, for a long time now, and you've stopped hoping, you've stopped searching. And like this guy, by the way, we know this guy's name. Uh, in Mark, it, it tells us his name. It's Bartimaeus, known as Blind Bartimaeus. And... As I've been reflecting on this scripture about Bartimaeus, I picture tears streaming down his face, especially when Jesus asked the question, 
what do you want me to do for you? And, and, and Bartimaeus blurts out, I want to see. And, and I've just meditated on that scripture. In my mind's eye, I can see Bartimaeus with tears in his eyes. Because you know that blind people can cry. It's not like it affects their tear ducts, right? Uh, what do the tears of a blind man symbolize? And in that moment, Bartimaeus is full of desperation and hope. And those tears maybe came pouring out. We don't know. Certainly those tears would not have come from eyes that couldn't see, but more from a heart that was both desperate and, hope, and hopeful. And, and here's what I want to say about that story. Some are here today, and you have been searching for healing, maybe for something mental or physical, maybe for yourself or for a loved one, and you are exhausted. Maybe that's some of your stories today. You've come here just exhausted. Maybe like that blind man, you feel like everyone around you doesn't see you or doesn't understand and maybe you feel like you can't get out of the situation. And maybe all you have is your tears. And here's what I would say about Jesus, and I know this from experience. He sees you, he hears you, and he cares, and you're not searching in vain. I just believe that, and Scripture screams that to us, that our tears are not in vain. Um, and hold that thought, because at the end of our time today, as we have prayer, uh, we just want to sit in the exhaustion uh, or the desperation with you, and ask God to have mercy today. And if he does, we will celebrate. And if not, we will keep waiting with hope. And then the last story, to wrap up, hopefully, what I've been talking about here. And it's one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible. It's a story about Zacchaeus. You guys know that one? It's a good one. It'll preach. Chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. I'm not going to read that whole thing, actually. We'll go 1 through 6 or 7. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, and he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus, and he called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest at your house today. And as mentioned multiple times, we are, all of us, searching for something. And the pivotal point, listen, the pivotal point, I believe, in a person's life is when they realize that in all their searching, in all their striving, God has been searching for them the whole time. Uh, did you notice the part in the story? I love the part in the story where Zacchaeus goes to pretty extreme measures. He probably was humiliating himself by climbing a tree in the middle of broad daylight. That was how far he was willing to search and to strive to get a look at Jesus and maybe somehow have some kind of interaction because he was obviously desperate for more than the life that he was living in. But he had no way to get to Jesus, no real way, no real connection. And so I love the scene. Jesus looks up in the tree at him, which would have been enough. But then he says his name, Zacchaeus. I got to go to your house today, man. And it changes the rest of his life. You know, the whole Bible is screaming this fact to us that we can't possibly search or strive or do enough or anything really to possibly get us one step closer to our own salvation. We just can't do it. Our sin has separated us and we don't have it in us. And so the Bible's screaming at us, 
God made a way through his son, Jesus Christ, who came to us. And we've heard this verse a million times, John 3, 16 and 17. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. He has come for us, and all of us today are searching at one level to or another, or for whatever it may be, we're searching, and we're desperate, and we need something, and we just can't possibly get it ourselves. The fact is that Jesus has made a way. He has come. The answer uh, for everything that we're searching for is found in his eyes, and Zacchaeus saw it that day. He saw what he'd been looking for. There's this story that circulated a few years ago on social media. I don't even think it's true, but it's a really, a really beautiful story. The story is this, that there were uh, two five-year-old twins. Uh, of course, there were two, because that's what twins are. A brother and a sister. And the brother got some kind of disease. I don't know what it was, uh, but he was able to overcome it. It was a really rare disease. And because of that, he had some kind of immunity. Um, and so his sister got the same disease. And the only way, the, uh, his sister was not doing good. Like she was going downhill fast. And so they said the only way that the sister could survive, is if, uh, survive was if her brother gave her a blood transfusion. So the parents sit him down and they, say, they explain, hey, you, you've got in your blood what it takes to help your brother would you give some of your blood to help uh, your, your, your sister? Excuse me. Will you give some of your blood to help your sister? And he said, okay. And they went to the hospital, and they started taking blood from this little boy. And finally, the boy looked up at the doctor, and he said, how long? The doctor said, what are you talking about? And he said, how long before I die? And the boy, of course, was thinking he was going to have to give all his blood and that it would cost him his life. Now, sweet story, right? Uh... But I just think it so closely parallels the story of Jesus. I don't think that Jesus was nearly as, was at all naive like this little boy. I do, however, recognize that he said this in the garden right before he was going to give his own life. He said, Father, if there is any other way, let this cup of suffering pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And he had you on his mind. Just like that little boy had his sister, Jesus had you on his mind. And in all your searching, he was going to do whatever it took to come after you. It's all grace at the end of the day, isn't it? It's all grace. I'm going to ask Emily to come on up and play some music, and we'll go into our time of Selah. And there's a really beautiful passage of Scripture in Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. And it says this. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. While we were still sinners, while we were still searching, Christ died for us, and he died for you. He came to rescue you in your brokenness. He came to rescue you in your searching. It's not an excuse to stop searching. Keep doing that. Jesus said, never give up. But know that in going after God, he is pursuing you much more passionately than you're pursuing him. And he's made a way. He's made a way. Um, so we're going to, 
just pray for a minute. And I'm actually going to ask you guys to do something. I don't think it's weird. Uh, to just imagine something. So it might help closing your eyes. Uh, you don't have to, of course. But if you feel comfortable, that way you can maybe just picture something in your mind's eye. Um, just picture yourself in Zacchaeus' shoes for a minute. So I'm going to give you your mind a second to, to picture yourself up in a tree. <laughs> sycamore fig tree or it could be an oak whatever kind of tree you want but you're up in a tree (laughs) that's how desperate you are for whatever it is that you've been searching for and right now just maybe as I've been talking today something was really clear maybe you had to think about it but whatever it is right now in your life that you're seeking and searching for you're up in that tree you don't know how to get to Jesus and just picture him right now in your mind's eye looking up at you and he says your name and all the answers for what you're searching for are found in his eyes and I'm not going to tell you what to imagine or think about from here on out we're just going to take a couple of minutes to be quiet and live in that 